morning, everyone. We are going to be taking communion together as a family. So if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, we would invite you to take part in that. It's going to be at the end of the message. If you didn't grab one of these uh, little packets on your way in, it has the communion elements. Uh, simply lift your hand up. Our ushers are here, and they would love to get you one. Uh, just keep your hand up until you get one, and they will make sure to get one to you. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, last year I was trying to wish my dad a happy birthday over text. I know that sounds a little impersonal. Don't worry. I called him later to actually wish him a happy birthday in person. But I I said, hey, mom, can you wish dad a happy birthday for me? It was early in the morning. I just wanted to get it out so he knew he was loved. Um, My mom responded back, hey, uh, your dad smoked when I wished him a happy birthday for you. So I texted back, I said, wait, what did dad smoke? I was so confused. She's like, oh, autocorrect is the worst. He smiled when I wished him a happy birthday for you. It was not smoked. I was like, wait, what is my dad smoking? He's not, he hasn't smoked for like 40 years. What is it? It's so weird for me. Has that ever happened to you that you type something out in a text and it completely changed because of an autocorrect? At least that one wasn't as bad as this person's birthday wish uh, to their parent or to her husband. It says, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. It's, she's singing in the text. Happy birthday to you, dead husband. Happy birthday to you. And he responds, thanks. I assume you meant dear. Ah, I meant that crazy autocorrect. Sorry. I mean, that's not as bad, but probably not as bad as this autocorrect fail. Need anything from the Taliban? Uh, Three RPGs, one IED, and some weapons grade plutonium if they've got it. Whoa, I didn't even catch that. I meant Ralph's. Ralph's is a grocery store back in California. Um, I'm good. Thanks, baby. Great. Now I'm on some kind of watch list, right? I mean, autocorrect fails are the worst. It is so difficult when you go to type something out and it comes out different than what you intended to say. It happens to us all the time. And it's one thing to have that happen to us over text. It's another thing for it to happen in a more serious way and for someone that you just don't think that they would have said something like that. This comes true very often with phrases that are attached to God. Let me give you an example. Sometimes people will say something like, God helps those who help themselves. If you've heard that phrase before, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but many times people will say that God helps those who helps themselves. Well, uh, no, that's not true. That's not what God says. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. Um, actually, what you do find in the Bible is that God helps those who realize their need of him. But that's just one example. There are others. For example, uh, God just wants me to be happy. Well, that's a little bit tricky because, yes, God wants you to be happy, but so often that's not what really makes us happy. I mean, God wants us to be happy in the sense of like a great loving father wants their children to be happy. But God knows that our happiness, our ultimate happiness doesn't depend on temporary things like money or achievements or recognition or relationships. That's not what's going to make us happy. Ultimately, only Jesus, a relationship with Jesus can make us fully happy. But probably the most often misquoted phrase that people have attributed to God, and I would reckon to say has been heard by most of you in this room, if you haven't said it already, is this, God won't give you more than you can handle. 
God won't give you more than you can handle. Maybe you've heard this before. You've, you've maybe been in a situation where uh, it's often said to a person when they are overwhelmed by this significant burden or problem, maybe it's something that they're in the middle of and they can't see any way out of, or maybe they're being crushed at this moment by some difficulty in their lives and then somebody comes up to, their, to them and says, hey, I just want to encourage you. When God closes a door, he opens a window. God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm sure the person is trying to be loving and kind and sweet in that moment, but they are completely not true. That statement is not true. And I know I'm rubbing a little, ruffling a little feathers here, so I'm going to try to explain a little bit. You're not going to find that statement anywhere in the Bible, but what you will find is quite a number of stories that will say the exact opposite. Take Moses, for example. You have this man who commits murder, runs away, hides in the desert as a shepherd, gets in the middle of this, this wilderness, is confronted by a burning bush. God speaks to him out of that burning bush and says, hey, I'm going to take you and I'm going to send you back into Egypt and you are going to take my entire people, the entire nation of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. What? I mean, this guy, a runaway murder, don't you, don't you think that this is a little bit more for this guy to handle? People estimate that the nation of Israel at this time was probably around two and a half million people. I can't get my four daughters across the parking lot at Target without getting hit by a car. I mean, it is to lead an entire nation out of bondage. Don't you think that's a little bit more than Moses can handle? Or maybe take Gideon. Gideon was told by God as a judge, he was... Uh, talked to by God, God met him in an amazing way and said, I'm going to take you, Gideon, send you, you're going to release my people from the oppression of the Midianites. So Gideon gets his army of 32,000 people and he sets off to battle and God says, wait, you have far too many soldiers. And he's like, hold on, the more, the better, right? I mean, we're going to go fight this crazy big army. We need all the soldiers we get. So uh, Gideon obeys and he says, if any of you are afraid to fight, uh, you can go home and 22,000 soldiers left, leaving him with 10,000. And God says, uh, your army is still a little, a little bit too big. I can imagine Gideon saying, I mean, come on, God, help a brother out. I mean, I need some people with me. This is a horde. This is an amazing number of people. So the army gets thinned out even more to 300 people. And he has to go fight the Midianites. Now, if you're not familiar with who the Midianites were, at that time, scholars estimate that it was between 70,000 soldiers and a couple hundred thousand soldiers. It says in the Bible that you could no more count those soldiers than you could count the sands on the shore. And Gideon goes and he fights them with 300 people. Don't you think that's a little bit much for Gideon to handle? Or maybe take Job. Job was allowed to, to experience a suffering unlike anything we probably ever will. God allowed Satan to personally attack him. And in a single day, Job lost everything. His crops, his herds, his home. He lost all of his children. He lost his health later on. He lost everything. I don't know about you, but I would have been tapping out after the first round hit me saying that, that's a little bit too much for me to handle. And yet he is enduring this. And then let's take even Jesus. Jesus in Mark 4 or Mark 12, it says something very interesting. Sorry, Mark 14. Uh, 
Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and it says that he was overwhelmed. Listen, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus knew what was awaiting him, that he was going to experience arrest, abandonment. He was going to be whipped and tortured and beaten and crucified. And his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. Moses, Gideon, Job, Jesus, just four quick examples of people in the Bible who experienced something far greater than they believed they could endure. Honestly, I think this is where fear comes into play with most of us. We're in the series called Fighting Fear with Fear, and we're tackling some of the greatest fears that we have as people and seeing how God can conquer those fears in our lives with a greater fear of him. I think that a majority of us fear suffering. We fear what will happen in the future. We fear what will come into our lives, what we'll have to endure. Maybe we've seen it in the lives of the people that we're around. Maybe we've seen it in the lives of people in the Bible, and we are concerned. God, is this going to happen in my life? Am I going to have to endure suffering like this? And we start to, to be afraid, and fear comes in, and it unsettles us especially the kind of suffering that we feel is going to be too difficult to endure. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you are in the midst of a moment of suffering that you can't see an end to or that is taking you by surprise or is a storm that you feel is too difficult for you to handle. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I am pretty confident that out of the number of people in this room that many of you are experiencing suffering right now. Maybe it's related to a circumstance that you are in. Maybe you are a loved one or someone you are very close to is sick. Maybe someone has passed away that you love dearly. Maybe you have lost your health or maybe you've just been diagnosed with a serious illness or you're seeing that your body is beginning to deteriorate. Or maybe you have been faced with an impossible choice that you have to make in your life. Maybe you have lost your job or your livelihood or the relationship that you are in has ended or your marriage is in shambles. Or maybe your decision to live for Christ has resulted in a lot of tension in your family, if not abandonment. Or maybe your desire to stand up for truth in your workplace has resulted in persecution from the people that you work with. Maybe you're going through a season of discouragement and depression that is so severe that you feel like you're drowning or maybe you're feeling crushed in this moment by something that has happened to you in your past. Maybe someone you love has taken advantage of you and hurt you and has broken you. Maybe if you are a student here today, maybe you have been bullied at school or online or even at home. Maybe Words have been spoken to you that have cut you so deep that you feel crushed in your spirit. No matter what it is, you're in a situation that you feel you cannot handle. Or maybe you have just come out of a season like that and you're wondering, hey God, what was that all about? Where were you in the midst of this? Or maybe you're awaiting future suffering. 
Each and every one of us will encounter suffering in our lives. It is all part of this world that we live in, this sin-cursed world of brokenness. We will all experience suffering, possibly multiple times until we get to heaven. Here's the problem, though. This truth has the possibility of paralyzing us in the present leaving us without any way of functioning or or having joy or peace or trust in God. It could cripple us over the fear of what could happen in the future. But listen, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear the suffering that we are in or the suffering that we will face because there's a truth that is greater than all of that, and that is this that God is greater than, with you in, and has a purpose for the suffering that you will face. That's the big idea for today, that God is greater than, with you in, and has a purpose for the suffering that you will face. With this as the background, I want to walk through four different messages that we all need to hear when we are confronted with our fear of suffering as we prepare for suffering, as we go through suffering, and as we reflect on the suffering that we face. Let me start us with prayer because we need that, and then we'll get into Scripture. God, we thank you that you are greater than all these things, that you are better than all of these things, that you have a purpose for the suffering that we face. God, I pray that you would make abundantly clear what we need to hear in your word today. May it change us. May we live without the fear that cripples us so easily. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, It's going to be up on the screen, but it's always better sometimes to see it in front of you uh, as we go through it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 8, we're going to read down to verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing, and this is what he says. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves And learn to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. The trouble that Paul is describing here is most likely related to his time in Ephesus, where he was proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And it was being received so well that people were coming in droves to faith. And the people in Ephesus who had sold idols and other talismans for other Ephesian gods, they were losing business and they got upset. So they got a riot started and Paul and his followers were in the middle of that riot. They didn't know that they were going to survive that moment. And Paul writes this incredible passage. And while there are quite a few reasons why Paul probably wrote this, I want to venture to say that probably 
close to the top of, this, of his list is this. He wanted other people to realize that suffering is going to be part of their life, and he wants them to see how he responded to it so that they could respond well when suffering happened to them as well. So here's the first message that we need to hear in our lives regarding fear of suffering. What we need to hear to prepare for suffering is this. God is sovereign and good. What you need to hear to prepare for suffering is this. God is sovereign and good. How do you prepare for suffering? How do you think about it? As you start thinking in your life to think, suffering's going to come, how do you prepare your mind for that? I would venture to say the majority of us would prepare our, our mind for suffering by thinking through all the different scenarios that could happen. Well, my spouse could get a, a, a disease. My spouse could get cancer. My spouse could die. Uh, I could lose all of my money. I could lose my job. I could lose my health. Uh, something could happen to my kids. Uh, something could happen to my car. I mean, you could start going down the line of all the things that could possibly happen in your life. If you start preparing for suffering that way by thinking about all the things that could go wrong in your life, all that's going to do is enhance your fear. It's going to make your fear grow greater. You're going to have so much more fear if you start preparing your mind by thinking through all the potential things that could happen by way of suffering. But there's a difference if you don't. One side, you get paralyzed by your fear, by thinking about all the potential things that could go wrong. But if you start focusing on, on who God is, what he is like, that will change everything for you. You see, the more that you focus on the things that cause the fear, the more controlled by fear you will become. The more that you start to concentrate on one who is greater than fear, the more fear has less control over you. God is sovereign. God cares about you. God wants the best for you. God has a purpose for the suffering that you are in. He wants to mature you, strengthen you. He wants to give you peace as you're experiencing in the midst of that trial. What you need to hear is that God is sovereign and good. What we need to hear are things that that Isaiah says. We read a little bit about that during our worship set this morning, which is so good. Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, if you back up just a few verses from what Daniel read, you would have heard this. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. God is sovereign. That speaks to his right to reign and rule. When God rules over things, he rules over heaven and earth so that nothing in this world will happen without his control over it, without his finger in it. Nothing is given to us that does not first pass by God's hand. One of my mentors used to say that everything that comes into our lives is father-filtered. That means nothing that we experience is catching God by surprise. He is in control of all of it. 
and he allows all of it. God's sovereignty is a sweeping doctrine that touches every aspect of life, every moment of creation, and every corner of the universe. As Abraham Kuyper says, there's not a single space in this entire universe that God does not put his thumb on and say is mine. There's no moment, no spot, no deed, no death that falls outside of God's sovereignty. God is in control. This is good news, but it's only good news if that's not all of the story. This is good news that God is in control, but that's not all of it. There has to be more because God could be sovereign and impulsive. God could be sovereign and selfish. God could be sovereign and arbitrary. God could be sovereign and evil. You see, what comes after the sovereign part is what makes all the difference in the world. See, if God was just sovereign and impulsive, it just matters what, what happens in that moment. Or if God is selfish, he's only going to do what's best for him in that moment. All of these things, if God is sovereign and evil, that means everything that happens to you, it has an evil intent. But it is not that way. God is sovereign and he is good. Have you ever been in a church when they do that? Have you heard this phrase before? God is good. Oh, you can say it louder. All the time. See, you already know this. God is good. All the time. You know this truth. But will this truth buoy you when the storms of life are raging? When you are overwhelmed and when you are covered in the midst of the waves of suffering and you feel like you're drowning? Do you believe that God is still sovereign and good even when you can't explain it? You see, if God is sovereign all the time, there's never a moment when he is not in control. Even when we don't understand it, even when we can't see it, even when we don't make sense of it, God is still in control. And that means that God is always good, that there is never a time when he is not good. Even when we don't understand why our friend has to die in a car accident, why that child had to die in utero, why those people had to say such hurtful things in your life, why you had to experience this heartache, why you had to lose this job. If God is sovereign and good all the time, he is sovereign and good all the time. Not just when we see it, there will be times in our lives when we will have to search for God's goodness in the darkest of nights. There will be times when we will have to come and worship God with a broken heart. But we have to hold tightly to the fact that God is good all the time. Because if it's coming into your life, it means God allowed it. God only allows good things he only approves things that will be for good in your life. And if it's happening in your life, it means that eventually it will work out for good. In our minds, if we can fill them with this truth, that no matter what comes our way, we will believe God is in control, that everything that has happened to me is being approved by him, and it will result in good, even if it doesn't feel like it in that moment. It's what Paul said at the end of that passage. We have set our hope on God. What we need to hear when we're preparing for suffering is this. 
God is sovereign and good. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering right now. And hearing from some of you, I know that you're in suffering right now. So what do we need to hear when we're in the midst of suffering? It's this message. God is with you. God is with you. The temptation for many who are in the preparing stage of suffering and those who are on the other side of suffering is that they take those messages from those two sides and they try to share it with those who are in the midst of suffering. Maybe this has happened to you when you are going through some of the most difficult moments of your life and people come up to you and they try to encourage you with Romans 8.28. Hey, don't forget God causes all things to work together for good. That is an absolute truth. That is true. And we need to saturate our, ourselves and our souls with that truth as we get ready for suffering. But that is not what we need to hear when we are in the midst of suffering, when we are crushed and we are overwhelmed on every side and we don't know how we're going to get through this. When we realize that suffering is hard and we don't know if there's an end in sight, we need to be reminded that God is with us. That's the message, that he's with you in the midst of it. So often we feel so alone, so isolated in the midst of suffering, and oftentimes that leads us to to try to tackle suffering on our own, to not allow people into our lives, to not share the suffering that we are going through. Paul was not like that. Do you hear what he said at the beginning of that passage? Hey, brothers, we wanted you to be informed of what we experienced. We didn't hide it from you. Friends, can I give you an encouragement? If you are in the midst of suffering, don't hide it. Don't hide your suffering. Share it with people. There is a family here that would love to come alongside of you and help you walk with you through that suffering. Not to say things like I mentioned before, but to cry with you, to pray with you, to encourage you. We want to be there with you through that suffering. If you read to the end of that passage, Paul will share how the Corinthian believers helped him. Verse 11 says that they prayed for Paul. They didn't talk to Paul. They didn't try to give him all of this help to get through it. They just prayed. And Paul says, God answered your prayers. That's how he was helped. Don't hide the suffering that you are in. More than that, though, rely on God in the midst of your suffering. Rely on God in the midst of your suffering. You are going through a difficult time. Doesn't mean that you are weak, Christian. Doesn't mean that you have done something wrong. It means that you're human. It means that you are living in a sin-cursed, broken world. And this is going to come. How you get through it is by relying on God. The saying that God won't give you more than you can handle is not true. But what is true is this. God will never give you more than he can handle. God will never give you more than he can handle. When Paul said he learned to do this, we can do the same. Did you notice in that passage? It's so small that you probably would have overlooked it. When they were in the midst of this suffering, they were despairing of life. They didn't think that they would be able to live through this moment. Do you hear the purpose in it? 
but we learned to rely on God and not ourselves. Paul didn't know how to rely on God in a specific way like this until he was forced to rely on God in a specific way like this. That's what we need to experience too, that when we are in the midst of suffering, we need to learn, teach ourselves to rely on God and not ourselves in the midst of suffering. And for the sake, at the expense of seeming very simple, the way that we rely on God, the way that we can get through these times is simply to call out to God. Call out to God in the midst of your distress and suffering. It's what you see over and over in the Bible. Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. Jonah says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the deep in the realms of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. From the end of the earth, I called to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. One of my favorite Psalms, 61, verse 2. Later, Psalm Six, or Psalm 18, verse 6, but in my distress, I called out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and he heard me from his sanctuary, and my cry reached his ears. Then in Psalm 91, one of my favorites is taken from God's perspective of people calling out to him. It says this, he will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. That's the blessing in the midst of doing this, the promise that God will be with us in the midst of and through the suffering that we face. Isaiah gave one of the most comforting messages to the people of Israel, and I feel it's still relevant for us today. He said in Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3, but now, O Jacob, Listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I feel like that's God's character. It's not just a promise just to the people of Israel. It's a promise to all of us who are in relationship with God. If you're in the midst of suffering, the greatest news that you can hear is that God is with you in the middle of it and he will get you through it. God is with you in the midst of suffering, and he will get you through it. One of my favorite stories comes uh, from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. You may not remember that. Uh, some of you may not have even been alive for that. It's okay. 1992, uh, Britain had a, a runner. His name was Derek Redman. He was such a phenomenal runner. Uh, his dream was winning the gold medal in the 400-meter race. And he'd been training for it over and over, and he'd finally got his chance, and he made it to the semifinals for that race. Everything was set, and the race started, and he started running. And as he came around that first turn and was heading toward the back stretch, uh, 
you could see that his leg just stopped and he tumbled straight to the, to the ground, face first on the track. He had torn his hamstring. People started to come, the attendants, medical attendants started to come to try to assist him, but he pushed them away and he stood up and he, he started to hobble his way down the stretch to make it to the end of the race. And as you're watching him hobble and, and try to drag his leg to get to the end of the race, you see another person running out of the stands. A security guard tries to grab him. He throws him aside and he runs up and he gets to Derek. And what we find is his dad, Jim Redmond. And he comes and he grabs his son, puts his arm around him. And he says, son, you don't have to do this. And he says, I, dad, I, I have to finish. I have to finish. And so he says, I will help you. And he puts his arm around Derek and together they started walking, hobbling all the way to the end of the race. Derek never won that gold medal. But what he got in turn was an image that he'll never forget. And that's his dad leaving the stands to help him through the greatest pain and struggle he faced. That's what happens in our relationship with God, that we are in the midst of this suffering. We might feel that we are alone, that God is not there, but God leaves his throne and he is with us in the midst of our suffering. He helps us all the way through, limping as it were, to get to the end. Jesus promised us in Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What we need to hear when we're going through suffering is God is with me. So what happens when we get through suffering? If we have prepared for it and we've got through or been in the midst of suffering, now we're on the other side or maybe that's you. What is the message we need to hear when we are on the other side of suffering? It's this, God has a purpose God has a purpose. There will be a time that you get through suffering and you're there. You can look back and reflect on the suffering you've experienced. And some of you might think through, why did I have to endure this? Why did I go through this? God, why did you allow this in my life? What is the purpose? We can look back and we can realize God does have a purpose through the suffering that we face God is going to use it in a powerful way more than you ever thought. Trials and suffering, they give endurance for our lives. You know, water doesn't necessarily have power in and of itself. Even if you take water and you boil it, it doesn't really have power. You take water, you put it in a closed container, and you boil that water, it creates that steam. And if you harness that steam, it creates a power that can be used for something. That's what powered engines a long time ago, steam. It is when our lives are under the most amount of pressure that we can experience the greatest amount of power in our lives. God comes through in the midst of our suffering and he will use it to accomplish something great in our lives. Many times we don't realize the purpose for our suffering until the end. And God says, this is why I let you go through that. And it's so powerful. There are seven reasons. There could be more, it could be less. I'm reaching for a few of these. But there are seven different reasons why you may be going through suffering. And as you look back on the things of your life, you might experience some of these. Uh, one, you might go through suffering to test the strength of your faith, to see if it, it is real, to see if it's strong, like what the people of Israel had to do in the wilderness as they depended on God day after day for manna. 
Do I believe that God is good, that God is going to provide for me? To test us, to see if we'll cling to the truth that God is good. Sometimes it's done to humble us. It says that uh, a thorn in the flesh was given to Paul so that he wouldn't boast beyond measure. He could get puffed up because of all the accomplishments that God was doing in and through him, but he was given a thorn in his flesh, something that caused suffering for him so that he wouldn't boast more. So sometimes suffering comes to humble us, to show us that we are still human, that God is still in control. Sometimes suffering comes to break us from dependence on worldly things. That things of this world, they come, become so valuable to us. The possessions we have are so close to us that if we lose them, it would devastate us. Maybe God wants to break us from that dependence so we can see that all we really need in this life is him. Maybe he sends suffering our, our way to remind us that this is not our home, that the best is yet to come, that what we experience in the future is going to be better than what we experience here. Sometimes we are tested to reveal what we really love, what we cherish and treasure, like Abraham had to do with his son Isaac. Maybe like the rich young ruler who had to leave all that he had, sell everything he had and follow Jesus. And he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Many times suffering comes to reveal what we really love. Maybe the suffering comes to develop a greater strength and usefulness in our lives. Maybe suffering comes to enable us to help others better in their trials. Write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Just a little bit before our passage today, Paul says, we were comforted in the midst of our trials so we could comfort you when you go through trials as well. God might let you go through that so that you can trust him and that you can help others go through it themselves. But one of the things that I look at more than all of these things is this. I love what Paul says about comparing our suffering in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, comparing our sufferings to what we'll experience in heaven. Paul says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When Paul was weighing the two, he says, I can't compare the two because they don't even match up. I can't compare the limited amount of suffering I have here with the eternal amount of joy I'll experience in heaven. They don't compare, just like I can't compare the finite with the infinite. I love how A.W. Pink, a great theologian, said it. He says, one second of glory will outweigh a lifetime of suffering. What are years of toil, sickness, battling with poverty, sorrow in any or every form when compared with the glory of heaven? One taste of the pleasures of God's right hand, one breath of paradise, one hour around the throne will more than compensate for all the tears and groans of earth. For I'll consider all of the things in this world, the suffering of this present time, not worthy to be compared the glory that will be revealed in us. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's hard to understand the sufferings that we go through. 
I look back at my life and I'm wondering, why, God, did you allow me to be abused when I was a child? God, why did you allow me to have my best friend killed in a car accident? God, why did you allow those people to say those hurtful things to me and my family? God, why did you allow all of these things into my life? And as I'm going through there, there are moments that all I could do was cry and look for God's presence. And in those moments, I realized his presence. I felt it closer than any other time in my life going through that suffering. When, right before my friend Mike was killed in a car accident, we had spent so much time preparing, so much time reveling in eternity and who God was. And we had just uh, been singing over and over again, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I was having a hard time figuring out how I could sing that in the midst of that moment. But as I got through it, I could see how God used every ounce of suffering I had in my life to help other people, to strengthen me, to help me to rely more and more on God. Suffering is not purposeless. And I struggle with people who don't have faith and how they will endure the suffering. If all that they have to cling to is that this will help somebody else, well, why do I have to experience that amount of suffering just to help somebody else? God has far greater purposes in mind for the suffering that you face. And you can, not, you can move to the place where you don't have to fear the suffering if you trust God. Let me give you one last message before we close. Each and every one of us will come to grips with the finality of life. Death is a part of the sin-cursed world. Everyone will experience it at some point. All of us. Maybe it has happened to someone you love recently. Maybe you are on the cusp of death. Maybe someone you love closely is right there too. Death is going to come to each one of us. And what we need to hear when we're facing death is this, that God is greater than death. God is greater than death. See, people fear death so much. It's the last great enemy. People struggle with this fear of death. Scientists and nutritionists and gyms are trying to help us live longer, but we can never escape death. It's the one last great enemy. And so it leaves us in fear of who it will happen to, when it will happen, how it will happen. And we're struggling with this sense of fear. But there's a moment that changed everything. That's when Jesus came to this earth and he showed us that he is greater than that. He took a 12-year-old girl and he raised her from the dead. Took a widow's son and raised him back up to life. In a dramatic way, he took Lazarus, his friend, had him walk out of the tomb, grave clothes and all, to show that he had power over death. This one person, he was showing that he had power over life and death. This creator of life came and showed power over death. And it was a phenomenal thing. And people started to think, hey, maybe now is the time. Maybe now is the time that death will cease. Maybe this last moment with the stone cold grip death had, we find somebody who could break it. And then something happened. Jesus, the one who created life, was subject to death. The one who raised up Lazarus and a widow's son was now raised up on a cross and died. 
and we thought hope was lost again. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to conquer death. So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, where death, where is your victory? Silence. So he says it again, hey, death, where is your sting? Nothing, because the sting of death and the victory of death was vanquished in the death of Christ. You see, if there was a, a, a curse to be born, it was born by Jesus. If there was a judgment to be faced, it was faced by Jesus. If there was a death to die, it was death, it was died. Jesus died. Listen to this. The sting of death was born entirely by Jesus Christ so that we would bear none of it. The sting of death was born by Christ in its entirety so that we would not experience any of it. Let me tell you a last story. Uh, a man was driving down the road with his son in the back seat. The windows were open. It was a beautiful day. As we were driving, a bee came flying into the window. The dad and the son knew that this was a bad thing because the son was deathly allergic to bees. It would kill him if he was stung. The son started freaking out, let go of the seatbelt, started jumping around the back seat, trying to escape the bee, freaking out because the bee was there and he could die. The father gently and calmly reached over and he grabbed the bee and he held it in his hand. But then a few moments later, he let the bee go. The son started freaking out again. Dad, dad, why did you let the bee go? He's going to kill me. Don't you know if I get stung, I'm going to die? And he held up his hand and he showed that the stinger was still in his hand. He says, son, that bee might look terrifying, but it has no more power to hurt you. Death is that sting. It might look terrible. It might look terrifying. It might look like it is the last final enemy, but it has no power because death has been conquered by Christ. It is why John Owen wrote the book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. It's what we are doing today when we celebrate communion. When we take this bread together, we are saying that God is greater than death. That what had captured us for so long broken in this world, broken by sin, broken by death, Jesus defeated. By dying on the cross, he takes what was broken and makes it whole. Would you take and eat this together with me as we celebrate Jesus' death on our behalf? For hundreds of years, Animals were taken to the temple or the tabernacle to be slaughtered. Their life for the life of the people. Blood was shed to show that God treats sin seriously. And there must be a sacrifice for that sin. As we drink this, we remember Jesus is our sacrifice. And we are free from our sin because of Christ on the cross. Would you drink together with me? Friends, God might allow things to come into your life that feel overwhelming, but it reveals to you that you are insufficient. But God is fully sufficient. 
and we can hope in him. We can set our hope in him because he rescued us before. He'll rescue us again. Friends, whatever you're going through today, whatever you will go through tomorrow, I pray that this blessed assurance will anchor your soul that God is greater than, with you in, and has a purpose for the suffering you face.